So we have covered this morning the fact that God sent his son for his glory. He sent his son to display his love. He sent his son to meet our need. And now we want to address the fact that he sent his son to give you and me peace. My text is from Isaiah 60 verses 1 and 3 and then Luke chapter 1 verses 78 and 79. In Isaiah 60 verse 1 it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And then in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless us now as we continue in our contemplation of your word. We pray, Father, that you would continue to open our hearts to your truth. And Lord, bless us as we consider the great peace which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. These things we ask in his precious name. Amen. It's hard to imagine, I think, a greater trial than being rendered both blind and deaf. And yet, that's the description that Scripture gives to you and me and of every person born of this world in respect to spiritual things. We are born blind and deaf. People by nature can neither see nor hear the truth. They can't see their sin and they can't hear God's warnings against that sin. They can't see God's law as a gift from him, a gift of love for the guidance of our lives. They can't see the clear revelation of him in the creation, even though his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. They can't see the beauty of the laws as a guide designed by the one who made and loves them for the peace of this life and for hope in the world to come. Men, women, and children sit in darkness, and they're blind. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10, the prophet Isaiah cries out, and he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Now, if you just pause for a moment and think about what this would be like in the physical world, you can get a sense of what it must be like in the spiritual realm. So kids, for just a minute, for just a second, I want you to close your eyes and put your fingers in your ears. Can you do that? It's awfully quiet, isn't it? You can't hear much, and you can't see anything. That's the way men, women, and children are born into this world spiritually. 
isolated like that. Experiments have been done in which people have been isolated and then immersed into total darkness. And they eventually begin to show signs of what we would call insanity. They begin to lose their minds. And it is the self-imposed spiritual isolation and darkness that holds men and women and children in their sin that leads to its insane practices and the results that follow from it. In my two texts, you find God's remedy for this pathetic and sorrowful state. And it has to do with his sending his only begotten son into the world to save men and women and children from this sad and tragic condition. As you've heard already, there's no other remedy. There's no other hope. There's no other salvation. Sin places one on the brink of eternal judgment, blind and deaf. And again, think of this in physical terms and then translate it into the spiritual setting. You're sitting on a small platform, right on the edge of that platform, and dropping away on either side of that small platform, that small patch of ground, are sheer cliffs. And any step in any direction is going to end in certain death. It's the only place there is to go. And you, while you're standing on that little platform, are blind and deaf. You can't see and you can't hear. And at the same time, the ground is tilting underneath of you. And you have to move, but where do you go? What do you do? I'm blind and I'm deaf. I'm deaf. I can't hear. I can't see. I know that I'm on this precipice and it's tilting. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm sliding, but I, I know if I step in any direction, I'll just fall into death. What do you do? Where do you go? The Bible, God's word, says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the soul that sins against him and his word, because it's his soul, he gave it, he gave it life, that soul that sins against him will die. The wages of sin is death. And, and that's the same as standing on that platform that's tilting, death is awaiting, sin is bringing you to that place. As a sinner, I'm on the precipice of death. And with every day, the till of the ground under me causes me to slip closer to the edge and the judgment that awaits me as a sinner. But I'm not even aware of it because I'm blind and deaf. I don't know that I'm in that kind of danger. Hebrews 9, 27, it says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that the judgment. Now, no one who understands this, anybody that has any idea of it, can be at peace. And beloved, even among those who claim to doubt it, there often remains kind of a haunting sense of of guilt and impending doom. I'm going to die, and I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I don't know where this is taking me. I know the word of God which calls for judgment for those who sin. But I'm, I, I don't know where I'm going. 
They never speak of it aloud because they can't dare to. Because if they do, then they have to attempt to do something about it. But what do you do? God says in Isaiah 48 and verse 22, there is no peace for the wicked. There is none. They can't find it. So we mark the incarnation, or what we call Christmas as we do, precisely because it is the answer to this critical problem, this dilemma. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came, to seek and to save the lost. To those who are in that situation, who are on that precipice, who are on that tilting ground, and have nowhere to go and no one to call to and can't do anything to save themselves. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. And that's why he was born in Bethlehem. That's why he lived the perfect life that he did. And that's why he went to the cross. The lost here, in that phrase, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost there, beloved, are not those who just simply can't find their way. These are those who are in a hopeless and fatal condition because of their lost state. It's to be in a situation where unless someone else comes along and helps you and saves you, you can't be saved. You and I get lost sometimes on the road. It happens less these days because, first of all, we have our eyes and ears and we have our phones. And so it's harder for us to get lost. There are occasions when our phones loot, get us lost. That does happen. I've had that happen. But most often, the GPS gives you an idea of where to go. And even if you didn't have your phone, you have your eyes and you have your hearing and you can get your bearings and you know if, if you just go in one direction long enough, you're bound to find food and shelter and what you need. But the lost state that Jesus came to save you from isn't like that, beloved. It is an utterly, fatally lost state. There's no finding your own way. You're blind. You can't ask for directions because you can't hear them even if somebody gave them to you. And every step you take on your own takes you closer to the edge of life. That was my state, that was your state, or perhaps it is your state this morning. If you know Christ, you know that you were in darkness, but God sent his Son to redeem you. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, and you who believe have seen the great light. In Isaiah 9, 2, the prophet says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The birth of the Christ child was the dawning of that light. And it can be shown in many ways. But we end today's contemplation by just looking at those words of Zechariah we read a moment ago. Talking about his son. John, he says, and you, child, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah's son John could show men the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise visited us from on high. We celebrate and mark in a special way the dawning of the great heavenly day when the Son of Righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ, arose with healing in his wings or in his rays. This is the great purpose, beloved, of Christ's coming, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. The Father says to his Messiah Son, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you, he says to his son, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise is absolutely clear. In Matthew chapter 4, we read this. And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, that, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus gives to those sitting in darkness on that ever slanting shelf instruction, showing them how they can obtain forgiveness for their sins. And with that, he gives peace. And it's done so simply. You remember when the Philippian jailer was ready to commit suicide and take his own life because he didn't know where to go. He didn't know what to do. Paul stops him in that act. And the Philippian jailer looks to Paul and says, well, what must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? I'm, I'm going to be under his death sentence here. I either take my own life or I'm going to be killed for the freeing of the prisoners here in this jail. And what is Paul's response? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And you know what the last scene we have of that Philippian jailer is? Having a feast with his family. And he's just rejoicing that he believed in God. And his heart is just full of joy. 
And he calls his whole family together and he brings in Paul and Silas and they all sit down together and they have a banquet because of the great peace. Beloved, the power that comes with this way of peace, peace with God, peace with our own hearts, peace with our own lives, peace in the day of judgment, peace for all eternity. All that's mine and yours because of the grace of God. And that's why the angel stood there and the plains of Bethlehem, and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pleased through the Lord Jesus Christ. If that hope is yours, then I believe that a little wholesome, reverent, and joyful celebration is in order. I really do. So let's stand. You know what? Let's all come up front. Would you do that for me? Come on. You have to stay where you can see the screen because we're going to sing. But come on up and let's just get together and, and come up together and celebrate this morning. Come on up here with me. Over here with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, they've got enough. We, it's just us up here. Now, do we have a good reason to celebrate or not? Yes. <laughs> we certainly do, don't we? Have great reason to celebrate. So I'm going to offer the benediction, and then we're going to sing together. All right, and let's. Uh, you'll find how much more powerful it is when we're all kind of here gathered together instead of in our little pockets around the room. First of all, the benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forever. Amen.